This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. The uh, last talk in this session uh, is one that I'll be giving talking about androgen deprivation therapy. And the reason we've chosen to include this as the introduction is that androgen deprivation therapy uh, really is one of the cornerstones of treatment that is showing up across all stages of prostate cancer. So it's important for people to understand it. Uh, Again, this may be old news for some people, but um, it's important enough that it's always worth uh, reviewing. So um, prostate cancer cells, wherever they are found in the body, and I've put a little diagram around it, depend on the male hormone testosterone to survive and grow. The main source of testosterone is the testicles, which in turn are stimulated by a sequence of hormones secreted by the hypothalamus and pituitary, which are glands at the base of the brain. And what you can see here is a cascade event where a signal from the hypothalamus to the pituitary to the testicles results in testosterone being produced and resulting in prostate cancer growth. In the 1940s and 50s, a urologist by the name of Charles Huggins at the University of Chicago discovered that getting rid of testosterone by surgically removing the testicles, that's termed an orchiectomy, led to significant regression of prostate cancer. And everyone has this picture of Dr. Huggins. Uh, It's an important one because this observation that he made uh, earned him uh, a Nobel Prize in medicine. Uh, And basically what he showed was that men that had widely extensive disease that were having excruciating pain, were losing weight, were having inanition, were really on the downslope, if you will, uh, were turned around. Pain went away, scans got better, uh, almost miraculously. And so that was a really important observation. So the male hormone testosterone is uh, uh, in a class of drugs called, a class of hormones called androgens. So getting rid of testosterone has been termed androgen deprivation therapy, or ADT for short. And really, when we say androgen deprivation therapy, that's equivalent to saying treatment with any one of these medicines. When uh, individuals speak about, quote unquote, hormonal therapy, they're referencing the same thing. So ADT consists of eliminating testosterone produced by the testicles. It can be accomplished by any of a number of drugs that block this signal between the hypothalamus and pituitary. And as it turns out, This approach is equally effective as orchiectomy. No difference in terms of how well it works, because what's important here is not the drug, it's the low testosterone. And uh, what I want to point out is that of these drugs listed here, um, the top three are injections, and the last, Relegolix, sold as Orgovix, is a pill. And we'll talk a little bit about it. It's got pros and cons. Um, but is a, is a new option. The nice thing about the shots is uh, for the top two categories is that they're available in three-month shots. So you can uh, get a shot and not come back into the doctors for a while. Now, 
While there's no significant difference in the efficacy of these hormonal agents used in ADT, we frequently get asked, are there, are there differences? Should I choose one versus the other? And I'd like to highlight some of those differences. So in terms of how they're given, luprolide uh, is given as a shot in your uh, rear end, an IM shot, <laughs> intramuscular shot. Zolodex or gosserolin is given as a pellet under the skin. Uh, Degarelix or Firmagon is a subcutaneous shot, and Relugolix, as I mentioned, is a pill. How often? Uh, again, I mentioned this. The first two are available in you know, one month, three month, four month, even six month injections. Degarelix, unfortunately, is available only as a monthly injection, and the Relugolix is a, is a pill. In terms of concurrent treatment that's needed, so for the first two, uh, because when they are given, the first thing that happens only with the first dose is a slight bump in testosterone before it plummets, is that you need to take some pill that prevents this flare in testosterone. We'll talk about these in a little bit. Uh, typically, a medicine called Casidex is, is used. By contrast, um, the Degarelix does not require that, nor does the Relugolix. A lot has been made, uh, and we'll, you'll be hearing more about this uh, later in the day with regards to side effects of uh, hormonal therapy from Dr. Friedlander. Um, a lot has been made on the impact on heart disease, and in particular on coronary artery disease. There really isn't a dramatic impact on valvular disease or arrhythmias, but in coronary artery disease, um, we know that in patients that have active coronary artery disease, that have had a heart attack, that these therapies can make it worse. And it appears to be the case that both Degarelix and Relugolix as a class of drugs may decrease that somewhat. This does not mean to say that it eliminates the risk of coronary artery disease, and it does not appear to be as uh, an impact in patients who don't have coronary artery disease. So really only in patients with active disease, these are important drugs to consider. Uh, the Degarelic shot, uh, I've been told by my patients, is definitely more painful than the Lupron and Zolodex, um, but it's a one-time shot and it may not be an issue. Uh, and the Relugolix is a pill. Uh, and so there's the issues of, do you want to be taking additional pills daily? Some people think that's great. Uh, and there's always an issue when you take oral medications that there's a drug-drug interaction and you just need to check on those to be sure. All right. So if we use one of these agents to, uh, or, or did an orchiectomy to block the flow of information, if we actually measure the testosterone that is inside the prostate cancer cells following or during ADT, it's not 0% of normal. There are still detectable amounts of testosterone left behind, up to 10 to 20% of normal. Um, and it's been uh, established that these can contribute to prostate cancer growth. So every effort has been made to address those, uh, that residual testosterone. And it turns out that the adrenal glands, uh, which normally are involved in mineral, sugar, and blood pressure regulation, also produce a small amount of testosterone shown here. 
the testosterone produced by the adrenal glands can be counteracted by using uh, medicines uh, such as an oral antiandrogen that blocks the uptake of testosterone into the prostate cancer cell. And the first three, flutamide, nalutamide, bicalutamide are the first generation pills and uh, have largely been replaced. The bicalutamide is still used, as I mentioned, to prevent that little flare of testosterone by second generation medicines, enzalutamide sold as Xtandi, apalutamide sold as Erlita, and darolutamide sold as Nubeca. And as it turns out, another approach is to simply shut down the production of the testosterone by the adrenal glands by a drug called abiraterone. Both abiraterone and apalutamide were drugs that were uh, in their early phases developed here at UCSF. As a group, and you'll see these terms thrown around, these agents that deal with sources of testosterone that isn't the testicles uh, are often called androgen signaling inhibitors, ASIs, or androgen receptor signaling inhibitors, RCs, uh, but they accomplish the same thing, which is to get rid of that remaining 10 to 20% of testosterone. And uh, you'll be hearing later today um, uh, about how these agents are used and when they're used. So there are many, many benefits of ADT, of androgen deprivation therapy. You'll be hearing shortly uh, from our radiation oncologists about how hormonal therapy, ADT, synergizes with radiation to improve outcomes in, in some patients. Clearly, ADT prolongs time to metastases in some patients with a climbing PSA after local therapy. It, as Dr. Huggins showed, it reduces pain and improves quality of life in men with symptomatic metastatic disease, um, certainly prolongs life in men with metastatic disease. And it turns out that adding an ASI to androgen deprivation therapy prolongs life in men with metastatic disease. Uh, it also prolongs life in men with androgen deprivation therapy resistant prostate cancer. So uh, you'll be hearing more about these. So there's many, many benefits of ADT. You know, oftentimes people will say, well, if they're so great and if, you know, they're good enough to get someone a Nobel Prize in medicine, why don't we just put them in the drinking water? besides the fact that they're not necessarily water-soluble. And the, often, the answer is, is that they're side effects. And you'll be hearing more, as I said, from Dr. Friedlander about this this uh, afternoon. But there's both symptomatic side effects that are well-known to people who've been on hormones. These don't happen in everyone, and they're not always severe, but they can be. And I've listed them here. Uh, but there's also silent side effects that we are concerned about. And again, uh, we'll talk about these uh, later. So the, the balance that we need to seek in using ADT, on the one hand, how do we reduce side effects? And as it turns out, I'll show you, if you can reduce the amount of therapy that might avoid the resistance. And for that, we do something that is termed treatment de-intensification, using less treatment. In general, it's undertaken in patients with less extensive disease where you can afford to do it. On the other hand, if we're asking how do we maximize the benefits, we talk about treatment intensification, <clears throat> again, undertaken in patients with more extensive disease. Dr. Kruperberg earlier talked about risk assessment in earlier stage disease. We do it in advanced disease as well. 
so that we treat patients very appropriately. So how do we reduce side effects? Well, side effects, as I've mentioned, are rarely due to the medicine that you're taking. It's actually due to the low testosterone. So that reducing the ADT dose doesn't do much. All it does is reduces the amount of testosterone suppression, and so the therapy is less effective. So the best way to reduce side effects from, uh, by reducing intensity is to shorten the duration of ADT and to avoid that secondary ASI. So a really important strategy that has been developed to lessen the duration has been termed intermittent androgen deprivation, where you do a year of ADT and then you stop. And after you stop, you stay off ADT, you follow the PSA, and once the PSA climbs to a specific level, you can go back on it and go back on it for a year. And typically the amount of time that you're off is more or less a year. On occasion, it can be more. Um, And as it turns out, in men that don't have extensive disease, so PSA-only disease, it appears as if keeping the cancer cells, giving the cancer cells periods of time off of hormones delays the time to resistance, which is a really nice thing to be able to do. I want to point out that this does not hold true in patients with metastatic disease. So we do not use intermittent therapy in metastatic disease in general. In terms of maximizing benefits or treatment intensification, as I've mentioned, we do this with patients with more extensive disease. And you'll be hearing from Dr. Agarwal and others today that reducing the amount of available testosterone as low as possible has significant benefit. And this can be accomplished by adding an ASI, such as abiraterone, enzalutamide, apalutamide, darolutamide, to get rid of that testosterone that's contributed by the adrenal glands. And in fact, that's why we do that. And sometimes adding a totally different type of drug, for example, chemotherapy, can have significant benefit. So as I've said, more on this later in the day. So the questions that we always ask um, when we think about androgen deprivation therapy, and it's a question that is an important decision point, an important part of shared decision-making between you and your physician, is ADT needed at all? So there are some circumstances where it really is not needed and we shouldn't be doing it. What's the best timing? Can we delay it? What is the duration? Can we, is this an appropriate situation to do intermittent therapy? And what should the intensity be? Should it be Lupron alone, ADT alone, or should we intensify with abiraterone or another agent? So thank you um, for uh, your attention. Uh, I see a couple questions. Someone asked, I was originally prescribed a quarterly shot of Lupron, but my PSA started to rise. My physician then prescribed abiraterone. How does this affect my survival rate with metastatic disease? So uh, as you will hear, uh, and another uh, person asks, when abiraterone becomes less effective, what are the next possible ADT treatments? Um, So as you will hear from Dr. Agarwal, uh, we are now using drugs like abiraterone, enzalutamide, apalutamide in two separate scenarios. It was initially approved, in fact, based on work done here, as treatment number two, i.e. when Lupron stops working, you add abiraterone. It has since been approved to be used together with treatment number one with Lupron as part of treatment intensification. 
Um, and uh, under those circumstances, you get treated with both drugs at the same time. But under both circumstances, eventually, the PSA may start to go up. And what that is telling us is that the Lupron plus abiraterone is no longer working, and we need to move to the next treatment. So typically, under those circumstances, the abiraterone is stopped, and we have discussions about the next treatment. Uh, and you'll be hearing a lot about that this afternoon. The next treatment can be an additional hormonal manipulation, um, or it can be additional approaches, which you'll be hearing about this afternoon. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.com.